There's nothing normal about losing a baby, but we can normalize the grief that comes along with that. Grief has the tendency to bring out the worst in us, but it can also bring out the best. When we talk about death, it creates community, belonging, and family. Welcome to Mothers of Held Angels, or as we say, MOHA. We are three dedicated and passionate moms who have lost babies to stillbirth and infant death. We formed a support group to help get through the dark days of grief. We touch on a variety of topics relating to life after loss, speak with experts, and enjoy healing conversations based on our own experiences. Don't forget to visit our website at www.mohanetwork.org for more information. And thank you for listening in. As the book of Matthew says, you are not alone here. Welcome back, Moha listeners. Today we have a special, amazing guest with us. We have Taryn Schulke joining us. Taryn is a grief and bereavement specialist in palliative care at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas. She is also a certified child life specialist and the author of the children's book titled A Kid's Book About Death. We are so happy to have you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So we just met Taryn in person tonight, but we kind of just hit it off because Taryn is just such a warm, beautiful um, earth angel as Holland named her after we did our short video interview. Uh, and Taryn, we just thank you for taking the time to come and talk to all of our moms out there, our network about speaking to our living children or children in our family about the death of our babies. Mm-hmm. Brittany, I'm going to let you jump off with the first question. We'll just yeah. get right into it. Yeah, of course. Um, so Taryn, tell us how exactly did you get started in your field of study And when did you decide to write your book? Well, it was a slow progression. It's not something I ever thought I would do. I didn't go into college thinking that I would be working with grieving people. Um, What I started doing was child life in hospital settings. And I started out in the ER at a children's hospital. And I worked with trauma and um, covered the hospital at on nights and weekends and did a lot of bereavement work all over the hospital in that first role. And I thought, you know, this, this is really hard, but it's really meaningful. And I, and I think we can do better. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I ended up getting another job in, in the NICU and in the pavilion for women at Texas children's hospital. So working with miscarriage, stillbirth, um, and neonatal death and, a lot of it, unfortunately, because it's such a large, large hospital and, and women come there from all over the world to try to help their babies survive. Um, when medicine fails, as you all know, it, it's not what we hope for, but it, it does happen. And I would be the person in child life to respond when a baby died. And can I stop you there yeah. for those people who aren't familiar with that terminology of child life specialist. What Mm -hmm. is generally your role in a hospital? Sure. There are a lot of roles that child life specialists do in the hospital for people who are in areas of the hospital where there's a higher rate of death occurring. The, one of the main things that child life specialists do is partnering with families at the end of their child's life or the end of their baby's life and trying to help make a terrible situation. Not so terrible if it's possible. Sure. Uh, 
through memory I think that's making. that's exactly what Mohal's doing. <laughs> yeah, Honestly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Through keepsakes, like the angel boxes that you have, um, providing things like that for families and involving them in the end of life process and, and kind of fostering them through that and what that's going to be like. Um, some child life specialists will even, even provide grief support afterward and follow up with the families. And so that's what I did, uh, early on in my career. And I, it's maybe strange to say, but I fell in love with it. It is a sacred, beautiful thing to get to partner with someone in that moment because it is such a tender time and to help a family have a more meaningful experience and, and play a part in the role of their child's legacy. It's really special. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm in more of a larger role as the grief and bereavement specialist for the hospital, for the whole system and trying to affect change in how we educate our staff and Mm -hmm. the resources we provide families all throughout our system. Um, and still partnering one-on-one with families as they grieve their, their child or baby's death mm-hmm. for at least a year afterward. So when well, you were originally enough. studying in college, mm-hmm. what what did that look like? I have a bachelor degree in child development. Child development. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So, Me too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so that went one way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I applied it to the hospital setting. Okay. And so okay. tell me about your master's. Because yeah. you used a term that I had never heard in my life before. Thanatology. Yes. Yeah, I know. Thanatology. Yeah, like Thanos from That's Marvel. Exactly yeah. what I was about to ask. Right. <laughs> I know. Um, yes. Yeah, so I got a master's degree in thanatology. And that's the study of death, dying, and bereavement. Okay. It's a whole field of study and it's growing. Um, there's a lot of room to grow as yeah. you all know, but so Taryn, you just, you truly just chose that. Did you feel like a calling towards that field? It was, a, I think it was a slow calling. Um, it was something that I felt if I could like be vulnerable with my spirituality here, Please. I felt like God called me. If I am able to do this kind of sure. work, then I should. Mm-hmm. And if I'm able to partner with families at the toughest time of their life, then I feel like that's a mission field. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of helped me give me strength and purpose in, in doing it and, and help me keep doing it um, early on. But yeah, I got my master's degree in it because I wanted to do better. So I started out doing this work with very little education, oh, very little training. Okay. Wow. Like everybody in the yeah. healthcare field. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't really realize until you're in it that, wow, I have to be good at this and mm-hmm. I have to be competent because mm-hmm. it matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I took this role as the grief and bereavement specialist and quickly realized I have to educate myself big time. If I'm going to do this right, I got my certification in thanatology first. So I studied, took a major test wow. and I renew that consistently. And then I realized like, Nope, there's more. <laughs> yeah. So I pursued my master's degree in it, and I just graduated in May. Awesome. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. We appreciate all the hard work that you've put Thank forth to get where you are. Yeah, all the moms. It was worth it. Yeah. Well, so from, from there, when did you decide to write your book? Well, a big part of my role is providing resources to families, and typically those families have young children that they're trying to explain death to and don't know what to say. Absolutely. Uh, and maybe have even started trying and it's not going well. And so they need some help. Um, and I, there are a lot of great books out there. Mm -hmm. There are many on grief, not a lot about death and dying 
about the actual, what does it mean to yeah. die? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that affect people? And how can I explain this to a young, young child as young as the age of four, mm-hmm. what death is? I couldn't find resources out there for that really. And so I decided to write one. Do you feel like your spirituality or your faith played into how you wrote it? Absolutely. You cannot separate spirituality from death and dying. And I'm not saying everyone's religious, Mm -hmm. but I do think to some level, everyone is spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so when someone dies, there is, there are these questions that come up inherently of why, what's Mm -hmm. the purpose? What happens after death? And everyone thinks about these things, even if they have an idea Mm -hmm. of what it might be, nobody really knows. And so my spirituality, I believe in heaven. I believe, um, all children are innocent and they go to heaven, but not everyone believes that. Mm -hmm. So I tried to write the book in a way that would spur these questions on within families and have, give them a moment to talk about what they believe as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like a book and workbook almost kind of, it's yeah, like, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting about the book and the company that I decided to partner with is they don't include illustrations in their books mm. for a lot of reasons. And that really spoke to me because as a child, you need to be able to see yourself in the story. And sometimes when there's a picture and it doesn't connect, it's hard to see yourself in that story. How interesting. I would have thought the exact I opposite. I wonder, because I saw you flipping through, and I wondered Only why words. the book was <laughs> missing pictures. But mm-hmm. then it was like, when you when we listened to you speak, it, I made my own picture in my head. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's got to be it. why. I mean, if, if someone who is closer to 40 does it I'm sure a four-year-old speak for yourself for sure (laughs) and there's a lot of blank space in it and Mm -hmm. that was on purpose too because I wanted to allow kids like a workbook to be able to draw or post like paste pictures in there especially the page that talks about love that I read there's a huge white space you can take a picture of your baby your child and put it in there Um, And that way it's on the same page. And I actually had a thought. One of our bereavement nurses at another facility offers to do footprints in Mm -hmm. a Bible or in a book that's meaningful to the family. And I was like, how neat would that be to have your baby's footprints and then your kid's handprints next to it? Like a family Um, picture together. A family portrait. And I love that you're so family driven here that you're including everyone. It's important. It's important to do this as a family because it is hard enough to do it alone. Yeah. Would you say there is a particular family or situation that was an inspiration for the book or was it just a culmination of all of them? Definitely a culmination. I've worked with families who have lost babies as early as four weeks gestation all the way through adult children. And Mm so in all of those families, though, there are young children that the family struggles with working and talking with and how to, how to do that, how to parent while you're grieving. That's really hard. Not only is there not a parenting manual, but then there's definitely not a manual when you have a child. No way. Your child passes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's no death manual. We appreciate you starting that manual. Yeah. Yeah. I do love how Brittany said it's like a workbook. I mean, that really is a cool way to look at this children's book because all the all of our storybooks that we've read to the kids are their story books. Right. So it's like a fictional mm-hmm. book. Uh-huh. And this uh-huh. feels like it's nonfiction, right. a way for a child to make it 
all about their themselves and their growth with their family and grief. I mean, that's beautiful and and just genius in my opinion. Yes, very insightful because I would have yeah. thought the exact opposite. Right. Hey, like, oh your... no, we need colors and yeah. we need pictures <laughs> and you know. Right. Does this boy need to have brown hair yeah. or blonde yeah. hair? How does it who's connect more, to everyone? Who's more relatable? Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. No, I bet that child development degree helped a little bit. A with... little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so diving into it, there is no manual mm-hmm. as a parent or in death and dying after uh, losing your baby. What are two or three main points if you're faced with a family and you don't have your book and you've just met them, but you're trying to give them some quick pointers? What are two or three points of advice for parents with surviving children to explain the death of a baby sibling? Yeah, it's really tough. And it it actually does depend so much on the age of the child, uh, their developmental milestones that they've met, what they can understand, um, what you've already talked about. It, it really depends. And I hate that answer because it's not practical, but I think some practical things that I would recommend is, you know, your child best, you know, what they can understand at the same time you're grieving. And so it's like, how do I speak this into existence out of my mouth and explain it to my little one and find the right words. And so, um, if for young children, I find that it's especially difficult from, you know, like three, three and up to explain it in a way that they can understand because little kids are, they cannot handle abstraction. They mm-hmm. can't. It's such an abstract idea. It is. Yeah. It is. And pregnancy loss, especially because they're still trying to understand what pregnant means at a yeah. young age. Yeah. There's a baby in there. Yeah. And then for there not to be a baby in there anymore. Mm-hmm. How are they going to possibly comprehend that? Yeah. And so I just want to normalize that because mm-hmm. that's difficult. So I think for young kids, what I would say is being honest about it and using what you've already talked about as a, a stepping off point. And so whatever language you've been using to describe your pregnancy, I would say start with that language and then keep talking about it. And for little kids, it's really important to use concrete language. And so you have to say died. You have to say mm-hmm. the D word um, no, to little kids, to all kids. It's important to use real language. It's hard to say, but it's important because then they can ask questions. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where Where's the baby now? Man, and I wish I had you all a year these. and a half ago. Right. Two years ago. And all of our kids. I mean, it's like, it's flashing back. Yeah. I know. Sitting down with my two boys and. That's exactly what they asked. Yeah. I mean, that's what my kids asked. Yeah. You know, I will Goodness, say yeah. one of them asked about pain, mm, you know, like yeah. death and pain. And that was something that I was like, buddy, I have no idea. Does that come up does a it, lot? Does pain Do you know? exist with death? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know when, when a baby or when a human is dying, it could be painful, but I have no idea, you know? And yeah. are those, would that be an instance that you sugarcoated or would you be honest? Like, like, is that too that abstract? you don't know. So honesty is always the best way to go. In my opinion, uh, saying you don't know is not ever wrong because that's truth. Um, you can say what you imagine, Mm-hmm. and kids have a big imagination, right? So you can use that and say what you imagine. Mm-hmm. I imagine that there wasn't pain and that my baby felt comfortable and safe and at peace 
mm-hmm. when they died. I love that. Um, that's what I like to imagine. I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to imagine that that way. Yeah. But you don't know. We don't know uh, really what the baby was feeling. So that's true and honest. And there's there are ways to say the true things without sugarcoating them, mm-hmm. but in a way that's still comforting mm-hmm. and compassionate. Mm-hmm. I do really love how in our, the, the, our quick conversation before we started recording, you were talking about taking the lead of your child. Mm-hmm. I just would love for you to explain a little bit more about that, how, how to do that, how to listen to your child and just let them take the lead in the conversation. Sure. Um, so unfortunately I've, I've had the privilege of having this conversation with siblings. That was a lot of what I did in my role prior to what I'm doing now. And the way that I would go about this is number one, if it can come from a parent, that is the best person for it to come from because there's already that level of trust built and they already feel safe. So if you can do it, I encourage you to do, to be the one to do it. Sitting down in a safe space at a time when they're open to listening, um, and attention, attention spans are hard for little kids. And so Mm -hmm. I like to use the rule of thumb of however old they are is probably however many minutes long Mm. they can pay attention. Kind of like timeout. Kind of like timeout. We're taking a Mm timeout and talking about a hard thing. Um, so reading their cues, seeing when they're ready and then starting the conversation with, Hey, um, I just needed to let you know that something really sad happened. Mm. And then going from there, whatever the feeling is that you're feeling, insert it and say the baby died Mm. and, um, and is not going to come home with us and kind of let there be a pause to let it sink in. Mm -hmm. And typically kids will then ask questions. So that's what I mean by letting them take the lead. Your child asked about pain. Mm -hmm. So that's what immediately came to his mind. Mm-hmm. So, little boy. A little boy. Okay. Yeah. And then that um, was not in the initial conversation. Later, these right? These questions that come up Because the conversation later, keeps like, going. Yeah. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't have to be a, a right now we're going to have this conversation and it's over. Right. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Nothing is ever that way. Right. So starting it out and then watching their cues when they're done, you know, when they're done, let yeah. them be done. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, but answer the questions they have, validate and this word is a little touchy and I'll explain it. Normalize. Mm -hmm. There's nothing normal about losing a baby. Absolutely not. But we can normalize the grief that comes along with that and the experience of it and the feelings about it. So saying things like I'm sad, it's okay. However you're feeling is okay. Right. And that's kind of what Moha, part of Moha's mission is raising awareness of normalizing, talking about it because death is scary to talk about. And until you're faced with talking about it with somebody you love, then you don't even think about it. And so those phrases and those words just don't come naturally, right? Mm -hmm. But if we normalize talking about it, we have women who lost their babies many, many years ago, and they were kind of forced into this idea of being silent about it once they left the hospital. Right. Um, And you carry that with you forever. So I love that you're playing a role in the family talking about it and normalizing talking about death. Cause the word, the D word is hard to it's say hard. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even we can be guilty. Like I'll say neonatal loss versus neonatal mm-hmm. death because. Mm-hmm. And I say passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's touchy. Yeah. It is. It is. And I think, you know, 
for worse or for worse, we live in a culture that minimizes grief and um, deflects it and tries to look away. And that is also a huge part of this. Maybe there's, maybe there's partner spouse conflict that you don't agree on how to talk to your kids. You don't agree on what all to say. And that's super normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so being upfront, I know that y'all have asked me, what have you seen like for the families that are on the same page and like doing this proactively and what is that like for them? The part, the, the part I think is the big turning point is if the spouses can be on the same page on a specific level and agree about how you're going to approach it, it's going to go that much better for your kids because they're going to see you as a united front. They're going to see that what you're saying can be trusted and that it is safe to talk about because you're both feeling that way and mm-hmm. exuding that to your children. Mm-hmm. Kids are super smart <laughs> and yeah. they can tell when things are off yeah. and they can tell when there's disagreements. So. so Taryn, could you write a book about how to get on the same page? <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to write that book for me. <laughs> we could really appreciate yeah. Yeah. that. It's real hard. Well, that this could is be volume two. Volume two. Workbook volume two. Therapy. Well, and the reason, Therapy. And I know that's it kind of meant in a joking manner, but no, really the, the well, problem. Well, because we just had our fathers. Ah, you're out of So, whoa. We got to hear the inside of our father's grief, which was yes. beautiful, but we we kind of joke about it on the side because we know our husbands so well, so we had some giggly moments about it. But um, <laughs> the reason why I say that is because death for, especially when, not especially, I shouldn't say that, oftentimes with pregnancy loss or neonatal death, like it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. So you may not be on the same page as your husband you know, you're thrown into it so quickly. Yes, sure. Yeah. And so sure. I, I, I think the challenge with being on the same, like coming to your children in a united front can be so challenging so hard. and not that we would believe different things at all, but it's more like how we respond to right. sadness. Right. I didn't know that Jeff and I responded so differently until after Lillian died. Yeah. So when we're, when my kids are talking to us, Jeff's more, he stands back a little, but I'm so much more of an open book with my children. And so it, it, it is something I think about with them. Like, what are they seeing dad do? Mm-hmm. What are they seeing me as a mom do? And what is that affecting my son? Like all of yeah. these layers yeah. of grief that you are not possibly prepared to deal with yeah. when it happens at the flip of a coin. And you there's know? nothing that can ever prepare you prepare you for it. Right. Right. And it is not fair to expect anyone to be on the same page with grief. Yeah. You yeah. know, for any kind of death. So So I guess it's well, normal. I, it's normal yeah. if you're not on the same page. You know, that's normal. that is normal. Normal. For sure. It. Okay. Cause I was gonna say, so what when you're in your experience, when you see parents who are mm-hmm. not on the same footing and not through any fault of their own, right. oftentimes what I sometimes get nervous about expressing something between Jeff and I is, are we going to be viewed as like not a strong married couple mm. when it really doesn't always have to do with being married. Right. It has to do with your interaction with death. Yep. So like when you, your impression of families who you can kind of tell are not on the same page with that, mm-hmm. how, how do you encourage them to either find that resolution to talk with their children or how, you know, what are your steps with that to guide a family? Yeah. It's so hard. (laughs) It's so, that's probably one of the hardest parts of my job is when I see that strife 
And like you said, it's not that it's not an awesome marriage. Mm-hmm. It's just a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terrible situation. And I think what I, what I, not what I think, what I always say is you have to give yourselves and your spouse grace yeah. in every moment of this process, every single moment, because I've seen a lot of families think like, well, I'm taking it this way and I'm dealing with it this way. Why is he or she dealing with it that way? That doesn't seem, mm-hmm. you know, like, does he even care? Is he, does he know like mm-hmm. how hard this is for me? Just mm-hmm. all these things. And I think it's super important to step back and say, oh, like our baby died. <laughs> Do you believe that? And I believe wholeheartedly in this. But do you believe that grief brings out even stronger your differences in it a marriage? Can. It can. And, and parenting. And parenting, mm-hmm. yes. You know. And so not only does that then play a huge role into how you view grief. For sure. And, you know, we all come from our families of origin. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> but, yes, it grief has the tendency to bring out the worst in us, um, what was already there underlying, it can can come out more easily because we're under a lot of stress and you name it. Um, but it can also bring out the best. And so what I try to help families do is say, find that common ground, whatever it is, whatever it may be, it might simply be that you're both really sad about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that's enough to start. Healing takes time. And communication takes time and and talking about these things takes time. And so doing that, giving yourself grace, starting off on any kind of common ground is the best advice I can give. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the only thing that we can do. So Holland lost Carter before she had her living children now. Like, do you ever, would you ever want to go back and ask someone after you had Connor? Yeah. Like how down the, I mean, hindsight's always 2020, right? Like there's so many things and that is definitely one of them because Carter Carter's loss impacted our family that wasn't even here yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And now that I've got Connor and Hannah here and we keep Carter's memory alive so much and we talk about him so much and there's so many things in our house that remind him of us. Um, so, you know, I, I, kind of do what we all do and take it in stride. But Mm -hmm. am I saying the right things? Am I painting the right picture or leaving it open for them to paint the right picture? Cause I mean, Connor will sit down and be like, you know, sometimes he'll just be like, I really miss Carter. And I'm like, I really miss Carter too, bud. And he's like, I can't wait to play with him again. And it's like, well, do I correct him that he's never actually played with his brother? And I'm just always like, you know, one day we'll all be playing together, you know, and just kind of lead it back into because he knows about heaven and that Mm -hmm. that's where he's waiting for us. So, yeah, that's such a beautiful response. And kids are going to they're going to imagine what they want and they're learning how to grieve, too, just like we are. (laughs) Um, And everybody does it in their own way. And so for you to say, like yeah, one day we're going to all play together. Like what a great validation of what he wants. Cause mm-hmm. at the root of that comment is I want to play with my brother. Yeah. I wish my brother was here yeah. so I could play with him. Mm-hmm. And that's such a sweet, precious expression of love from mm-hmm. him. Um, and, and on that also the fact that you incorporate Carter into your family life so consistently allows your children to have a relationship with him. Yeah. Which is what they have I a brother. So they have a brother, and so 
you have opened that door for them to have that relationship. And that is the biggest, most beautiful gift that you can give to them. And so however that looks, you get to create it as a family. Yeah. Now a little to spur off of that guidance on our children then going out into the world to talk about their deceased sibling mm. because it's not always accepted like yeah. it is in the home you know so you mean at the grocery store when they're like my brother's dead yeah yeah, yeah. That? yeah. 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 oh yeah we could probably <laughs> think, kids are so funny i think it, it though holds true that yeah. you know you let them go with their own dialogue for sure and they'll run with it. Yep. Um, like I was, um, you know, it's back to school time and, um, Anderson, my seven year old came home with his, you know, all about my family and he included his sister yeah. and then explained to me that he didn't include sister that's coming because she wasn't born yet. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting that even though Eden Grace was never really born, that she was still considered a count in the family. For sure. So that, yeah, I mean, I think it's you, to leave that dialogue open, just like you do with mm-hmm. your two is allows them to just continue to foster that relationship with their sibling. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And yeah. then these, your children are going to go out and talk about their sibling because they matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they matter and their yeah. lives mattered however short they were. So letting the kids dictate how they're going to talk about their brother or sister is a beautiful thing yeah. that they get to do. Now your job as parents is, <laughs> is uh, the response of people mm-hmm. to your children. And that can that's be really we, hard. That's my worry is like yeah. when they're faced with whether it be another child or even adults mm-hmm. who don't mm-hmm. know how to act, yeah. say the wrong thing. Um, Cause there's nothing I, I just, don't ever want anyone to squash my child's light and his outlook and the way that he views his brother. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a fear of mine. Well, I think it's a fear rightfully so, but you've established that really great, um, foundation with them. Mm -hmm. So it would be harder to shake as they get older. That's true. Since you've already set that path. Definitely. And I've seen that and I've seen as the, as the siblings grow and get older, starting that so young and letting that be a normal thing in your family, that's going to be normal for them as they grow and as they continue to develop and and their relationship grows with their, their sibling in heaven. Like you, you can't protect them from everything that people are going to say because people say really stupid stuff yeah. all the time <laughs> to grieving people mm-hmm. yes. um, all the time. And they're going to get it too. And I think as a, as a mother, as a parent, that is, ugh, it's gut wrenching mm-hmm. to think about your child having to go through that at, you know, yeah. their child. So yeah. Yeah. just the same way that they talk Prepare about them. Yeah. Like That's the same so way true. Cause Janice it. talked about how she preps moms and she's like, now there are going to be people who are going to say really terrible things. Yep. They may say this and she'll list it, or they may say that and she'll list it. And it's almost like she's preparing them and she'll look them in dead in the eye and say, none of that is true. Mm-hmm. Those people are wrong, you know? And just like, yep. just like she preps those moms and parents, it just, like a light bulb just well, went off. And and I'm prep, like you know, I've got a yeah. prep yeah. Like honor it, to go out. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it it allows at least them to think about it before it happens. Right. Which I think sure. for the most part, when something when we're blindsided is when we feel hurt the most. But when for we sure. have something in mind that 
you know, now that I've heard so many comments about death, there's not a lot often that I hear a new comment that I'm not like, I've already, I've already heard this. So I can, yeah. So at least it gives them the kids something, you know, something to think about beforehand. Yeah. I I, I do want to, and go ahead. I was just going to say like, you don't have to be specific about the things they might hear. You can just be general and say like, if someone says anything to you about your baby brother or sister that you don't like, you, you don't have to talk with them anymore. Like you don't have to respond. You can just walk away and just, let, let them kids trust their feelings. Still, kids can set their own boundaries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let them trust, learn how to trust their do. feelings and walk away. So when you're working with families in those, in those moments, they're pretty vulnerable moments. What, what do you see the benefit of a mom? Like when you see two, two parents who are open to talking to their kids and kind of on like that good, the common ground, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. what benefits do you see of that family moving forward. Yeah. Um, unfortunately it makes me think about the ones that struggled, you know? So, which again, it's so normal. (laughs) So, um, the ones that were open and honest and maybe even if it was possible, had their living children come to the hospital to meet Mm -hmm. their baby. Um, if they were given that opportunity, if the child was ready, you know, all of those assessments were done. And and if they had that opportunity for kids that get some kind of a concrete hello, goodbye moment, Mm -hmm. that helps a lot. It really does. Um, there are other ways to achieve that. If that's not possible for your family through like, if you took photographs of your baby or, um, even as simple as just talking it through, but, talking about it, being honest, these families are able to grieve together. And I, th- I think I maybe mentioned that earlier. It's really common for people to feel like they have to grieve alone because it's so individual. But these families that learn how to grieve together, they grow together and they get more solid. And it's almost like they're invincible. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's real. like I have the chills. It's really beautiful to see them grow in their grief and learn how to be a family with their loss, um, with this whole, because it all, you're all together, you know, doing this together. And so respecting each other's own way of grieving, um, being open to whenever you need to talk or not talk or distract yourself or, you know, like cry or whatever it may be. And letting that happen as a natural flow, including the children, letting them have their own experience those families are like rock solid. That's awesome. And I personally have seen these families who have this foundation and keep it going, or maybe didn't have it in the beginning, but start it and then continue it. They learn how to live with their loss and love their baby. Mm. That's no longer here anyway. Like they find a way to incorporate that baby into their family. They find a way to do that with love and less pain. Mm. And I think that is key because at at the beginning, there's so much pain and you kind of wonder, is it ever going to get better? Am I ever going to feel better? And the answer is yes, you Mm -hmm. can. Like I've seen hundreds of families get better, heal, Mm -hmm still carrying their love, still carrying their grief, but carrying it. And it's beautiful. 
It really is. That's really wonderful to hear because honestly, with Mothers of Hell and Angels, we, that's the hope that we want to bring to moms in their in their hospital room. And you get to mentor and be there for people yeah. who are freshly going through it. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. It's a gift you don't want to have to give, exactly. but you get to give it now. And it's it's just incredible. And yeah. Anna said this before, just as much as we feel the moms need to mm-hmm. see us, our face on the other mm-hmm. side of it, mm-hmm. we need to see them. Yeah. We need to see their faces because it is... It affirms. Uh, it affirms everything we went through, the, that journey that we've already walked. Yes. We need each other. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I do, at the beginning of this recording, you said something along the lines of, when I realized I could do this, I felt like I had to do it because mm-hmm. not a lot of people can do it. And I think we've talked about that too. Like, if it's not us, then who will do it? Yes, yeah. Exactly. If we think we can do it, then who else will do it? No one's going to step up to help a grieving family if they can't do it. It can be really empowering. Um, and before we close out, I really did want to have you talk a little bit more about your book and maybe read a, that, just that one page that you read on the recording just sure. so our listeners can get a glimpse of how uh, beautiful and such a resource it is to grieving families. Yeah, I um, the book kind of takes you through the process of talking to a child about death. And it starts out with explaining death and what it means and what it is, which then morphs into how it makes you feel when someone dies. Um, and then the questions that death brings up and every person who experiences that in their families of what do I believe about what happens after death? What, you know, what do I think about that? Um, so it gives you an opportunity to talk about your faith, your spirituality and what you believe in your family. And then, um, building that legacy and keeping that relationship going and that love alive in your family. And I give some tips in the back of the book, just like a list of ways to keep the love growing in your family with your kids. So it's, it's a progression. It's how I talk to kids about death. Um, I tried to like use what I say typically and put it in a book so that you could just read it (laughs) and it's not so hard. So let's where do you see. find your book? Yeah. If you search a kid's book about death, it'll be the first thing that pops up. Oh, yeah. Cause it's a, it's a whole company with multiple titles in oh, it. Oh, I like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start a little bit earlier than where I did earlier. Um, because I think it ties in with what we've been talking about quite a bit. So I'll start with when we talk about death, it creates community, belonging, and family. It helps us think about what we believe in. Like, what is our purpose? What is the meaning of life? Is there something after death? Is there a special part of us that continues on? It helps us talk about what really matters, and that can be beautiful. One thing I know for sure is that death doesn't end a relationship. I bet you're wondering, how is that possible? Because love doesn't end with death. Love continues and grows and changes over time, even after death. And this makes people feel and act in new ways. This is called grief. And all that love builds up inside and they have to figure out what to do with it. The things they decide to do or say or make out of that love keeps the relationship going. Why? Because that love only exists because the relationship happened. Remember that life is like a story. Just because the book closes doesn't mean you forget what the story was or how it made you feel. 
That's so beautiful. And we're, I wish y'all could see us. We're all we're all here with tear-filled filled eyes and we're like staring at Taryn in just awe because it is. It's just so truthful in the way that you are explaining it to kids. We wish we would have had these words. We now have these words. Your book, you, Taryn, are an invaluable resource and we are so grateful and thankful that you're here that you were here to share your experiences your book your life your passion with us thank you for being here if there was to close out if there was one thing for our listeners to take home from this entire podcast what would it be first thank you so much for having me and telling me about your babies they matter and i hope you always talk about them um and just thank you so much because it's really special to get to hear about them. Gosh, one thing. You can do hard things. You can, you can talk to your kids about it. You can say things. You can mess up and say, I'm sorry, let me try again. You can keep talking about it and you can talk about your babies and make them a part of your family still. Wow, that's great. And I just want to thank our listeners for listening. Um, Whether your journey has just begun, whether you've told your living children, you haven't told your living children, you don't have living children yet, there's a place for this. And I just hope that you found um, some value in what, what we talked about tonight. So thank you for listening.